podcast, and this is Quite Like a Podcast. Well, hello and welcome to episode three of Quite Like a Podcast with me, Rory Forbes. And me, Tim Deadman. Well, thanks for sticking with us and for showing up for episode three. For those of you that this is the first episode you've heard, please look at our back catalogue of episodes one and two, which will remain there for uh, posterity, we hope, for you to enjoy. And what's on our agenda today, Rory? Well, Tim, we've got a fact-filled agenda (laughs) and a topically-filled agenda, and we will be coming to and from the white, but we'll also be looking farther afield. So we'll open up with something on Scotland, I'm guessing. I I think uh, in every episode thus far, Tim, you've managed to weave a Scottish angle in, in, in some way shape or form, so I think we'll continue that. A lot is happening on the scene in Scotland, so let's discuss the impact and the ripples uh, from there. So some stuff about food to follow, because that's inevitable, and also something about the supermarkets and changing policies and shortage of fruit and veg. I think we should mention that. Yeah, I mean, great for new podcasters, there's nobody to throw tomatoes uh, (laughs) at us. So, uh, um, well, we all talk about, you know, the, the, the... the lack of tomatoes that might affect uh, other issues. We'll come back to the island um, spend a bit of time talking about local island issues, local island news, um, pressures there, particularly around getting on and off for health, for example, which is always important for those of us of a certain age. Maybe a little bit about what's kind of hot on our lists. What are we watching? What are we listening to? Podcasts, books, music, stuff like that. What keeps us from falling asleep at night? Oh, well, indeed. As opposed to the old question of what keeps you awake at night? Mainly the dog. Um, And then a little finish off with an update from Bob Seeley in the Houses of Parliament on missing children. This will be our Where's Bob section. Couldn't have named it better. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen. So, Rory, let's talk a little bit about Scottish happenings this this week gone by. Um, first, it might be useful to declare our, our position. So, you for, you first. So, colours to the mast. Uh, my colours are definitely a saltire blue. Um, not that any of this, as I think I've said before to you, Tim, is about flag-waving nostalgia. But I'm very much pro uh, Scotland to regain its uh, status as one of the oldest independent nations on the planet um, and for that to happen as soon as possible. Uh, I think I've mentioned to you that I believe all Scotland's ills, of which we may talk about a few in uh, the following minutes, will be solved by being able to make our own decisions. And I think I come from the other end of the spectrum but with a qualification so, so so i'm a unionist i'm english born and bred and think we're stronger together um however i think if i had been born a scot there's every likelihood that i would be agreeing with you mm. so so i get it but then not then i transpose it and say well does that mean that i, I think england should be for the english only and whilst the his, history you know in england has been great at um subjugating other nations but i do genuinely think now in the modern world we're stronger together that's my view so cutting to the modern day yes what has happened with nicola well so nicola has uh you know some might say thrown in the towel part of me thinks she has thrown in the towel i, I must admit him a large part of me thinks with nicola or for clarity, Nicola has announced her resignation as leader of the SNP, Scottish National Party, and therefore ultimately her resignation as First Minister um, of the Scottish Government. Um, I, I think I welcome it from her point of view, because who would be a politician in the modern era 
16 years in senior positions, either yeah. as the deputy or as the leader. And there are very few politicians around the world who can claim that level of longevity. And, of course, her predecessor, Alex Salmond, um, you know, similarly... I mean, this is one of the questions for you, is is these are two heavyweight politicians, very skilled politicians, regardless of any likes or dislikes. They're just politically good operators. Mm. Yeah. The, the people I'm hearing, I think there's three front runners. I, I mean, I, I'm interested in this stuff and I've barely heard of them. And they, they each seem to come weighted with some issues. I, I think there are only three runners, so I don't think you can call them front runners, although I've heard rumours or whispers this morning um, that there might be a fourth about to announce. I think they've got until the 27th to announce their candidacy um, and then for the ballots to take place. In the, no, I tell a lie. It's the 21st and then the ballots run for a week and then the, the, the result will be announced on the 27th. Um so I think uh, Hamza Youssef, probably the... He's the finance he's guy. He's the longest serving SNP mm -hmm. and government minister politician. He is currently um, health minister. Oh, OK. Um, you're mixing him up with Kate Forbes, who ah. has recently returned, or is actually returning from um, maternity leave. I think she's still largely on maternity break. Is she the wee free lady? She's the wee free from the Western Isles. Okay. Uh, and she's just had a baby and uh, she is the current finance secretary. But of course, John Swinney is previously been finance secretary and he's deputising for her during her maternity leave. Um, so she's the second of the three. And the third of the three is a... a an SNP minister, former SNP minister called Ash Regan, who has um, uh, perhaps got the least public profile. Um, although recently she resigned from uh, the government, the Scottish government, in protest at the self-ID component of the gender recognition reform. She, she seems to be the biggest supporter of making the next election a sort of pseudo-referendum. Well... Nicola Sturgeon was the biggest supporter of making the next election a de facto referendum on independence, um, although most of Nicola's supporters this week are, are now talking about, you know, maybe waiting until 2050. Um, for many of us who have been in and subsequently left the SNP, one of the reasons for leaving it, to find a home which, you know, focuses on Scottish independence rather than competent administration, is this whole policy of gradualism, you know, the biggest gift for a supporter of Scottish independence is Brexit. It has been not exploited at all. Do you, do you think, though, that the, the, this is kind of part of the nub of the, the, the issue, that you have probably the two, two of the biggest hitters in British politics, two of the people most capable of putting over an argument and I'm including the other political parties in this, and they've not been able to get this one over the line. And I wonder if it is partly because they're hampered. You often talk about a single-issue party, and, of course, they have to be the party of government on so many issues. And for all sorts of reasons, there are challenges in healthcare and in education and drugs and so forth. Do you think that that distracts from, from the single-issue kind of momentum? No, no. Um uh, I think it's an excuse to say it distracts because if you're given the power to run health, education, justice, run it. There's no excuse for doing it badly. Um, equally, if you want to do things totally 
the way you want to do them without the one hand tied behind your back that the current devolution settlement uh, offers, both in terms of finance, but both, both in terms of, oh, that law you've just passed. I'm sorry, you can't have that law because it conflicts with the law we've, we've got running down here. So no, if you're in for Scottish independence, every day you wake up, you find a reason to make the argument relate to Scottish independence. The hospitals will be better. The schools will be better. The courts will be, I was going to say the courts will be overflowing with cases, but you know what I mean. How many years have they been in power? Uh, since 2007, when they were first the minority government, then I think it was 2010, they became a majority. So I'm not sure government. their record's great. It's a bit like the Tories, you know, 12 years and we're waiting for it to get better. Well, uh, when you say the record's not great, I mean, what are we talking about? Well, health, for, for example. health and education, for starters, most of the metrics are down. Uh, Whereas they used to be market leaders. And they remain market leaders in so many aspects of both those areas. For example, a very recent European-wide uh, uh, survey poll put Scotland as the leading nation for getting um, citizens into tertiary education. Um, so giving a, a lifelong access to education. Um, Scotland has many challenges, which will always put pressure on a health service. Um, we can talk about deep fried Mars bars uh, uh, in a food section on another podcast, perhaps, Tim. Um, Scotland has many uh, challenges when it comes to education because of poverty. What caused poverty in Scotland, you know, don't talk to me about the Thatcher years and the, the steady decline of, you know, traditional in industries and, and break up an economy. This is a good introduction into the Unbarnet formula. Oh, yes. Because there's certainly a lot of people out there making the case that Scotland actually receives more than its fair share of public funding, particularly compared to some of the poorer areas mm. of England. Mm. Uh, Wales and Northern Ireland tend to do reasonably well mm. as well, I believe. So, yeah, against that what some would say is better better funding, then you'd expect those things to be true, wouldn't you? And there are many people that would wish you to believe that Scotland receives more per head uh, than uh, other under underserved areas of the rest of the United Kingdom. Um, it's fair to say that, again, coming back to the core argument for independence, Scotland does not control all its revenues. Um, there's probably a greater proportion of tax and as a result of economic activity, direct taxation, indirect taxation that is raised in Scotland that is not spent on or in Scotland. Perhaps indirectly it is, but it's spent at a UK level. Um, so there are so many metrics. And on another session, perhaps, we'll keeping an eye on the clock and keeping an eye on the patience of our audience for uh, uh, matters such as Scottish independence, there are lots of statistics that suggest all the revenues that come into Scotland are not spent on Scotland. And therefore, um, whilst the Barnett formula is alleged to be an unfair topping up redistribution of wealth, for me, if you look at the geographic footprint of Scotland, so many services that need to be delivered to isolated communities fundamentally cost more. So when you break it down to per head, there's, there's plenty of heads at the centrifugal edges of the Scottish you know, land, territories, you know, in the islands and uh, the very north of Scotland, um, costs more to deliver services there. Yeah, well, I, th I, think that, I think that's a very fair point. Latest polls have Labour trailing by 2% or less to the SNP. The, the, so, yes. you know, year and a half, two years out before mm. the election, loss of a charismatic political operator. This sounds worrying times to me. Uh, I'm not worried at all. I am totally up for a change of leadership. Um both in the, the movement as well as one of the parties that 
you know, the dominant party that relates to Scottish uh, independence being the SNP. Um, but the S Scottish independence is not Nicola Sturgeon. It's not Alex Salmond. There are dozens and dozens of leaders and strong advocates that have been and served before and are out there ready to step up to the plate and carry on. The movement is a very strong, vibrant movement. Um, where you don't hear about things in leafy southern England is because you're not meant to hear about things in leafy southern England because your your press, our press, our media is giving you a very filtered view of things. And perhaps also the media in Scotland is also getting a very filtered, uh, uh, fuzzy view of things intended to keep them of the view that they're too wee, too small, too poor, to be able to stand alongside Estonia, Denmark, Latvia, Lithuania, New Zealand, um, Sweden, Finland, need I go on? This has been a party political broadcast on behalf of the Scottish National Party. So, uh, a white link from that party political broadcast from the Scottish National Party. Uh, we will return in a future podcast to the illustrious history, or perhaps not so illustrious history, of the Vectis National Party, which was formed in 1967 to campaign against um, uh, the sale in 1293 of the island to Edward I, effectively the English crown. So this is Edward I, the curse of Wales and Hammer other... of the Scots. Hammer of the... Hey, you got around a bit. We did get around. Uh, sorry, you, you've now hooked my interest because this is news to me. Tell, tell us more. Okay, 1293, Isabella de one time out of Carisbrook, um, uh, was on her deathbed and was persuaded to sell, in inverted commas, the island, the Isle of Wight, to the English crown, Edward I, as I've just said. So who would be clear? Who had previously owned it? Uh, she had inherited it from a husband who had died. All her, their children died, and she was left as the kind of the only heir. There was no other heir apparent. So I guess there was going to be some kind of bun fight for who would run the island. And it was run as kind of a pseudo-colony, a bit like a crown dependency might have been now in terms of Guernsey, Jersey, Sark, those places. But we're talking 1293, and even our recollection doesn't go that far back, but uh, it would have been a bit Wild West, I am sure. But the, the nature of UK, the nature of England, the nature of Scotland were forming as nations in those times. and uh, So Edward I, perhaps a key key character to come back to, I think so. because you know he, he must be one of those people hated equally by the Welsh and by the Scottish, um, oh, as a symbol, symbol of in Englishness. And sent him homewards to think <laughs> to again. To think again. Yes. And now we can add the Isle of Wight. Everything's so we, we got rid of the Romans, yeah. and, the, and then we had Edward I. Yeah. So there, there's literally a white link to everything. Tim. Moving on, um, let's talk about the white link to food. Food is one of our favourite subjects and we've spoken at length about, you know, the, the, the joy of a cooked breakfast and we'll continue coming back to that. But um, we have a recurring theme to discuss, which is this week's soup. <laughs> this week's soup. Yes, uh, my wife uh, Ella and I 
support the local food bank in uh, the local warm cafe, not food bank, in Ventnor. The Better Days Cafe. The Better Days Cafe. That's a pl- good plug. And we would like to perhaps get um, one of their people on to a, another p- podcast in the f- in the future because they've won a few local awards and some grants, which would be good, good to share the word. Anyway, very quickly, this, this week's soup was um, mixed vegetable, which was fairly basic, but using up what was in the cupboard. Previously, last week's was um, spicy tomato and lentil which proved to be very popular so soup is a great it's it's cheap to make it's something that binds us together and i think you've got a little story about soup in 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 the context of somebody who went on to become very famous a famous award-winning michelin starred scottish chef of the year my wee brother neil is he younger than you absolutely yes i am the eldest as you you like his mentor i I have this authoritative tone that i exude i think uh, so in in many occasions and perhaps my two younger brothers wouldn't necessarily agree with that but but younger brothers here goes with the story so uh, neil's been a chef pretty much since he left school um and uh one of the motivational factors. Oh, and by the way, we come from a family of chefs. My, our father, my dad, was is a chef. He's just retired now, so he doesn't do it professionally. Um, he does it for sustenance and love. Um, so we lived in that cooking environment, food all the time. Dad working funny shifts in hotels and restaurants and 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 so on. Um, our uncle was a chef. Uh, uh, my dad's mum, our granny Forbes, was a sh- cook. She wasn't a chef. She was a cook. Why, why do we differentiate? Why are men chefs and women cooks? Because society has a patriarchal view of male and female roles, Tim. Is that right, Rory? Yes. But we're talking about soup at the moment. Uh, we'll come back to the ingredients that make up a society and the ingredients that make up a career. So Neil's career was motivated by standing at our granny main, my mum's mum, at her knee, watching her make soup. Um, so what you call mixed vegetable, we might call a scotch broth. And Neil just enjoyed the whole kind of the smells, the sounds, the noises, the uh, the environment of, of cooking a big pot of soup for a big family. It, it's about love and communication and sharing and all of those good things and it's it's kind of easy to mock but it, but it is so i can totally understand that and relate to sort of standing on a chair being supervised stirring yeah. a cake and licking the yeah. spoon yeah. Or, or whatever it is and that, that's how so many people yeah. get, get yeah. into it I absolutely think. so he, he got into cooking as a career uh, as a chef and uh, you know now has a very very successful restaurant in Edinburgh. You're going to um, name it. Uh, let's get this name it out as a shout out to Cafe Saint Honoré, named after the the great French street, um, which is beloved of pastry. Yes. Um, um, so our minimum bribe level is of course three meals. So <laughs> you know where we are, Neil. Two other connections to soup falling from that. One, very briefly, I don't know if you've seen Morrison's and Asda, and I think you said also Sainsbury's, starting to limit the amount of fruit and veg that you can buy on your visit. I think it's more specifically salad items um, as opposed to vegetable items. You said Um, tomato, which is a fruit. Tomato as a fruit (laughs) masquerades as a salad item on our supermarket shelves. I see the twinkle in your eye uh, across the table here, Tim. Um, but specifically, you know, to your point, it, it is uh, Morrison's Aldi Waitrose, I think, who are rationing no more than three tomatoes, by which I think they mean three packets of tomatoes, and three cucumbers per customer. 
So, so as one of our great heroes, Rory Stewart, would say, we should probably come back to this one, Rory. I think, so. I think there are a number of things to unpick here about national borders, about Brexit, about the shortage of people to harvest these things. The, the other direction to take this in, I wanted to give a really good um, reference to Radcliffe's, who are a local business here on the island. They occupy a, a rather odd tin shed. I think it may have possibly been a sort of a mission church back in the day. Um, uh, Blackwater, as you come out, out of Newport. Basically, they're an old-fashioned um, greengrocers, but they're really excellent. Everything is fresh. Prices are much better than the supermarkets. The range is good and they're the sort of people who if they've got a minute will chat to you about recipes and if you say you're getting Seville oranges in they'll say yep they'll be in next week and I'll put you a couple of um, kilos aside they're nice people they're doing good work and um, I just want to say say thank you to them yeah. because they've contributed towards some of the soup production can I vouch also for the quality of their Seville orange marmalade hmm. that uh, you kindly shared a jar with me um, Seville oranges but made into Dundee style marmalade another white link to a recurring theme quite like <laughs> No, that's great. That's great. I, I think one of the things, the, the major memory I will have or recollection of, of the Ratcliffe's business is it, it exudes to me the front cover of John Steinbeck's Of Mice and Men, <laughs> where you have the husband and wife with a pitchfork stood in front of a tin chapel type building. Oh, that's a famous picture. That's in the National Gallery. Maybe, Gosh. We, maybe we should go and recreate that one day. What with pitchfork? It probably doesn't work on a podcast, but on. Where's the auger? Where's the auger? We can put it on our podcast page. (laughs) This is my swamp, Tim. But it's our island. Absolutely, it's our island. So uh, another white link to uh, uh, island stories. What's been catching our eye on the glorious Isle of Wight? last fortnight. So I, th- I think Wet Leg had got their Grammys last time we spoke, but of course now two Brits tucked under their belts. Absolutely. I was, I was nearly going to say they've got two BAFTAs. <laughs> I'm, I'm mixing my awards up here. That'll be next year. As, Ella, as an Ella, award soup. Ella downloaded it and she, she says to me, well, I still don't like it at all. I don't see what you see in it. <laughs> I, I, yeah, what do you see in Wet Leg? What do I see? Um, so I think it, it's... It's recognisable as sort of that indie pop crossover thing. So there's some jangly guitars. I do like female vocalists and always have done. Love female vocalists, yeah. There's enough catchiness in there for a nod at pop. Um, And I I don't think they take themselves too seriously. I think there's a, there's a lot of there's a bit of undermining of men who sometimes need a bit of undermining. Yeah. Although they are supported by three fine bearded and long haired um, uh, messiah like musicians. Well, that's that sort of self referential thing that not taking themselves yeah. too seriously. Yeah. But they they've they've done so well and they're now touring with is it Harry Styles? Harry Styles is the yeah the so, headliner. Yeah. And I'm convinced that I once saw them one lunchtime in the um, Spyglass in Ventnor. Yeah. But nobody will actually confirm this. And the dog who agrees with me can't actually say so. But. Some people might also say that appearing in the spyglass is a bit of establishment and a bit of a sellout. And if you're indie pop crossover, perhaps you wouldn't do that and wouldn't be seen in the spyglass. But Everybody likes the spyglass. Yeah, yeah. And I particularly like wet leg. And I, I, I agree with you that um, it's infectious, it's youthful, it's enthusiastic, it's got a little bit of, a little bit of protest. The lyrics are a bit feisty. At times, and I like a bit of cheeky, feisty lyric. 
I, th- I think I think their look as well, their their image, it appeals young and old. I mean, they they haven't gone out to be overtly sexy, but they they have a certain presence, yeah. and I think it's one that crosses over into all sorts of groups, which yeah. is quite a thing to achieve nowadays, where you the targeting tends to be more more niche. And and, and as we become journalists, <laughs> as as our podcast career develops, I, I imagine any journalist faced with a, an interview immediately off stage having won an award by um, Rihanna and Hester would probably feel quite challenged because I'm not sure I've ever heard much sense come out of them when given the opportunity to talk about their career and their music and their their view on life the world and everything which which i'm sure does absolutely no harm in the eyes of their following just sort of um moving them away from the kind of traditional formats but they've also done quite a bit of stuff for charity and um for some of the press like the big issue they've always put themselves up to talk to them so you know i think their heart's in the right place they just perhaps don't have a lot of time for the um for the daily mail yeah Yeah. well who does who does indeed what else on the island and i've got i've got one going back to food again but we just mentioned the spyglass which doesn't really need our support um we went to uh, the waterfront on shanklin the other day for lunch and it was terrific so for anyone who's in shanklin doesn't necessarily fancy the steamer although that is good um please have a look at the waterfront they were sort of a young crew and they they gave us a really really good time and uh, the food was excellent superb although i'm a big fan of the steamer on Shanklin uh, Seafront as well. Uh, my good lady and I went to there for an impromptu unplanned lunch a couple of weeks ago and got a very strong sense that it's changed hands. We mentioned the Spyglass just now, and I think the Spyglass and the Dairyman's Daughter and the Bargeman's Rest and the Steamer were all run by the same kind of group, effectively. Is it, is it also the one in Braiding, possibly? I don't think that ever did the Crab and Lobster. No, no, no um, uh, railway. No, it's as you drive through Braiding, it's, it's in the dip next to where the waxworks used to be. It's quite, it's quite a big. It's, it's oh. the same sort of. Is it called the Bugle, possibly? Not anyway, to, anyway, we should yeah. move on, but we'll come back yeah. to it next time and yeah. find find out the yeah. name. And and f- f- coming back to the steamer, mm-hmm. beautiful burger. Okay. A be- I mean, keeping the food theme going. Um, to Isle of Wight food here. The burger at the steamer was absolutely superb and uh, sensed it change hands. That, that was my key point. Change hands, moving out of the group. Absolutely no evidence for this, but it had a feel that it had moved on. The evidence of the kind of the um, the beer mats that were Spyglass and Darium's Daughter Barton's Rest weren't there, weren't in evidence. So it felt like it was a bit independent. So okay. One to watch. One to watch. Along with the waterfront. Let's not forget the waterfront at Totland. No, which is one of your locals, I guess. And we, we frequently do one of your... Now, you name your walks, don't you? We do, we, we do. What is it called? Is it called an Up Totland or something? So so if we were to walk... So I think we've said before, we, we live in Totland Bay, um, or the village of Totland, which, as far as we're concerned, is Totland Bay. And if we walk along the seafront from Totland Bay to Colwell Bay, where we keep a hut, um, we call that a bay to bay. Bay to bay. If, however, we do, we walk the other way. We walk first to Colwell Bay and then walk the seafront back to Totland Bay. We call that a reverse bay. So that the coded words, as we put our coats and hats and gloves and warm coats or less warm coats on, we're saying, are we doing a bay to bay or a reverse bay? 
Shall we do our reverse bay with uplands? I'm going to say, are there variants? Uh, absolutely, parameters. So we can mix this up with going uh, uh, one direction with uplands. Um, we have the glorious... Are you familiar, Tim, with Widdick Chine? I've heard of it. But... Right, it's, a, it's basically, a, as all chines are, a gouge in the landscape, um, which takes you from Cliff Road, uh, the far end of Turf Walk in Totland, down to the seafront to the old... Um, lifeboat station uh, oh, at the far yeah, end okay. of Totten Bay yeah. and there's a lovely we believe council maintained set of steps and there's halfway down from the road to the seafront to the beach there is this glorious stop with a bench just before some wooden steps take you down to the beach itself the view there on any day is glorious because you have a tree lined view the sea in front of you across the, the sunset s- I should think oh, sunsets on the West White, we know what sunsets on the West White. Um, I'll do a shout out to my Instagram page uh, uh, later, perhaps on the online accompaniment to to this podcast. Um, in in the summer, we get invaded in Totland Bay by an armada of small pleasure boats. So you have this Mamma Mia moment where you see the leafy forestry, the flora and fauna. You've got this beautiful set of steps in front of you. You've got crystal blue sea, and all these people with boats enjoying themselves and then it's drowned out by Cher's helicopter arriving yes. <laughs> can you hear the drums Fernando <laughs> yeah so what do we have we live in Rookley uh, we, we have an up bunkers so we have bunkers lane so going up that's up bunkers there's a full bunkers which requires a three mile hike around the fields uh, where the dog gets to sniff sheep and eat, eat sheep poo on a lead of course Ella this afternoon I think is doing a Merston which means get, driving to Merston then walking along the old railway track but it's, it's a great idea and I, I, I like it and it kind of brings alive some, some of the great walks that there are on the yeah, island yeah. I, I love naming things in a way that is not necessarily literal, but relates to what you get from it, perhaps. There's, there's a beautiful book called A Short History of Tractors in Ukrainian. There is. It's not written in Ukrainian at all, but it's got Ukrainian elements to the story about Ukrainian tractors. But all the characters have a name which describes what they do and what they look like and who they are rather than their name. It's, is that like Under Milk Wood? Yes. Have you read Under Milkwood? No, but I'm aware of it. Oh, I've got, I've got a copy. Yeah, it's, it's an awful lot of funny. It, yeah. it, it's just out, out like, outright funny. And if you get the Richard Burton version, it's um, it just sounds better in mm. the in the in the Welsh. So what but, else is happening on the on the white? Well, uh, introducing a little bit of local political um, uh, storm is uh, getting off the island. I think your share helicopter link teed this up quite nicely. Um, the costs of allowing islanders to move to healthcare facilities on the mainland where those facilities aren't necessarily in capacity or available at all on the island itself, although we're very well served, I think, by, by local healthcare facilities. There is a budget that the Isle of Wight Council has to in, enable people to, who need the help and the support to get off the island for specific healthcare reasons. That budget is being slashed for the next financial year coming up in April. Is, is this linked as well to the local health trust joining, merging, working together with the one in Portsmouth? So so the, the, the dependency on off-island services potentially increases, so the need to travel will probably rise rather than the... I suspect that kind of joined up thinking wouldn't necessarily mean that the answer is yes to your question just now. No, probably not. Because I think the answer to your question is no. 
it's a purely budgetary. I mean, I've worked in finance and finance software and uh, accounting con- con- context for virtually in my entire career. And I started my career in public sector finance. And one of the jobs I had to do was make sure that we accounted for as much spend as possible by the 31st of March. Because if we didn't spend it, You'd by the 31st of March, we didn't get it next year. So you've you seen probably the amount of roadworks going on on the island. I suspect there's a big case of that going yeah. on, that the transport budget, they found they've got some cash in there. And really driving around, every few every road has its set of fun yeah. lights and roadworks going yeah. on. Suppliers to the public service, you know, would rub their hands with glee February, March because they could buy lots of chairs and tables and or sell lots of chairs and tables and things that could be put in store in case they were needed. But in the case of the island, um, tra- off-island transport support, the budget this current year, um, £60,000. But so far, only spent, I think it's £15,500. So the budget for next year has been set at... £30,000. £15,500, because that's all that's needed. So clearly Uh, that's all we need. On the same subject, have you been following the story of the Ventnor um, seafront problems? So this is if you walk towards um, Bond Church, and during the winter there was damage to the sea defences, which exposed a sewage pipe owned by Southern Water. Um, And basically the builders have been in ever since trying to work out what to do about repairing this. Today, so there was there was a pub- I'm aware of it, but there not was been a, mm. there was a public uh, meeting, I think, in in the local church, St Mark's, St Andrews, can't remember, uh, in the last couple of days, and various representatives came along and said that uh, the footpath would be closed for the rest of the year, and the full repair would take until around 2027 or 28, and would cost 50 million pounds, funded by Defra. My, my ghast is well and truly flabbered. So at the moment, they're trying to do a sort of a temporary fix, which is largely putting very big bags of very big stones into the gap underneath the concrete plinth to protect both the sewage pipe and to protect the walkway. And that should allow for the pathway to be reopened by the end of this year. There'll then be a two to three year investigation process on how to construct the repair in a long in the long term and i guess they're thinking 30 40 50 year mm. long, long term and that is estimated to deliver in i think 27 to 28 and the cost is estimated at 50 million pounds so wow. a 50 50000 budget for transport kind of pales into insignificance and do you think 50000 pounds spent on ensuring the uh, ongoing health of the majority of citizens on the island versus £50 million to um, fix a footpath. I know it's a bit more than a footpath and probably has more function than a simple footpath, but £50 million versus £15,500 seems a little bit off there's, the ball. There's two, two subjects, and probably the mistake we make is to try and talk about them in the same sentence. Oh, yeah. So, clearly... The short-term issue is the, is the health the health issue and providing suitable funds. And frankly, I suspect they would be found if they had to be. I would invite the um, consulting engineers and the Ventnor Bond Church stretch to come and visit the West White. There's been a few cracks appeared in the seafront wall f- foot path esplanade revetment call it what you will. Um, one directly outside the waterfront at Totland. and I think it was filled in with a couple of bags of postscript from B and Q and was shut down for a two or three weeks and made safe 
very quickly. And I have seen aerial photos of the Ventnor Bond Church fissure. Um, I think the problem is that the engineers have predicted that it won't last another winter. And it's a sewage pipe serving three to 5,000 local homes. Ah, so it's more than just a path. Which would then, yeah. well, this yeah. is buried underneath the yeah. path, but with very little protection around yeah. it. So there's the immediate issue of what would happen to the local economy and yeah. both sort of tourist and fishing if the sewage pipe starts pumping out into the sea. And Southern Water's reputation at the moment, not great for Absolutely. in this particular area. There's also the knock-on that that footpath is used by an awful lot of people to visit some of the local businesses. So it's more in the debate about the island's role as a tourist destination. I know one of your concerns is the is the um, the road that you drive on if you come down the military road, the sort of south of the island, driving from west to east. And when you see the photos from the air, it really is quite alarming how close the um, cliff erosion has got to what is quite a main road in several places. So I think the whole subject of how much these infrastructure projects cost to to make the island the, an island that people want to visit mm. and we want to enjoy whilst it doesn't compare necessarily to the cost of putting people on transport to get them to the hospitals in the long term it's in it's very important for the island's continuation yeah, absolutely yeah and we, we we have on out west as well we have experienced our fair share of landslip and i think the bit above ventnor and bondchurch probably is landslip territory i mean the whole of the undercliff is landslip territory from St Lawrence, Knight and Gap, right the way across to Bunchurch. So um, yeah, and think of the Belgrave roadworks that've been going for the last two three years in Central Ventnor, where they've had to literally shore up a whole road successfully. It, it, yeah. And that that is at the heart of it. I think is the nature of the geological infrastructure in that particular area is yeah. such that if you don't constantly keep on top of it you lose vast swathes of it into yeah. the sea and um, you know, it gets yeah. closer and closer yeah. to people's yeah. housing. My final comment on this will be uh, our first attempt to move to the island uh, was back in 2001 and we we'd settled on a house we're drawing up contracts in St Lawrence very very close to Undercliff Drive uh, and uh, I won't name the road for, for, for fear of uh, scaring any current residents. But we had ultimately, we had three surveys done on this property. Um, we'd only ordered one, but for some reason, three were done in administrative error. Two were fine. And the third one said, don't touch the property with a barge pole because of the underlying blue slipper clay, cracks in the house frame, etc. So we didn't. We pulled out and it took us another 20 almost years to, to, to get over here. Is that is the property still there? It's still there. It's a crease, increased in value. The area's beautiful, although there is no road between St. Lawrence and Knighton now. So, you know. Swings and roundabouts. And I had the same conversation with a guy in a pub. It wasn't the pub. What are uh, the Winter Gardens? Oh, yeah. When, we, when, we, when yeah. we used to holiday, we, we would often wander along the cliff path and perhaps pop into the Winter Gardens for a quick drink and then then walk back on a nice evening. Lo lovely thing to do. And there was a guy there ch chatting up the, um, the, the, bar, the bar steward and he turned out to be a groundworks expert. And we talked about our plan for moving to Ventnor and his, his view was that so many of the properties that kept him in business for the last sort of 30 years were due to the um, sort of the local problems of slipping and sliding and and also territorial boundary debates. So his advice was buy somewhere else on the island. And again, that's what we did.
So last episode, we introduced our first competition, which was identifying Pop of the Week. We didn't have any winners last week, so we've decided to do a rollover. So this week, I'm going to be drinking a popular beverage, and we'd like you to tell us what you think it is. Now that Tim's recovered his composure, we're going to wind up this episode of the podcast and slide in to the rest of our weeks with, uh, you know, what's what's hot, what's catching our eye, what's keeping us, as I said earlier, what's keeping us awake at night, what's... Uh... Me coughing, probably. So, <laughs> so musically, you, you mentioned that you had a new um, yes. interest. I, I've come across a young lady from Sheffield who sings scones she sings scones is my food obsession coming to the forefront actually this doesn't make this makes some sense she sings songs writes songs performs songs that have a strong gaelic scottish celtic connection her name's iona lane she's available on all the streaming platforms and she's got a wonderful um, debut album that came out um about a year ago um called halivar and the one song I would recommend, which is a beautiful song to get a day started, both melancholy but uplifting, happy. It's called Shehalian. And mm. it's and it's a song with lyrics all about how the Earth's weight was first calculated using the mountain called Shehalian in Perthshire in Scotland. Um, how scientists used that and all its reference points in order to calculate the the mass of the earth had the earth been assumed to be round at this stage indeed 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 until um you know and that controversy still rages so i've heard apparently so i'm going to say something really middle-aged and sad but i've been listening to greatest hits radio south coast now if if lbc became the home of disillusioned bbc broadcasters <laughs> which it is greatest hits radio is a beginning to become the um, home of disillusioned disc jockeys. So Simon Mayo has the starring role on the drive time and is sort of revered like a god. And of course Ken Bruce, who is joining from Radio 2 in April. So for somebody of my advanced age, they play 70s, 80s, 90s pop and yeah, it's pretty weak. But if you're driving in the car, it's what yeah, you like yeah, to yeah, hear. And background. there's very little that I can't sing along to, which yeah. is both good, good and bad. So <laughs> Greatest Hits Radio one for me. I hope Simon Mayo not on a non-compete then or it's probably expired but, i uh, think it would have expired yeah, yeah. he does four till seven right and um he has all sorts of personalized jingles mm. and it's it's really quite a good and the he, he lots of references to his film work with mark commode that you talked about the other week so i've always quite like simon it's a very nice white link for me to riff back at you on here which is that the isle of white radio is directly connected to national parties and I'm going to leave it there at that the existence of Isle of Wight Radio is directly related to national party politics so my wife is very keen on this and listens and often messages me with their quiz of the day or what's the secret word mm. and I must admit I struggle I think their musical taste is about 20 years later than what I would choose to be listening to. Not, not earlier, as is most challenges of the Isle of Wight. No, no, no. We're, we're stuck in the 1950s definitely over here. Definitely not, yeah. yes. What about TV? What are you watching or films? Um, well, we had a bit of a hiccup with our Netflix and Amazon Prime video streaming service over the weekend and we couldn't stream anything and, and we 
we eventually worked out we had to turn off our Sky Q box in order to get our Netflix and streaming content provide apps to work again. So uh, this last weekend we were quite quiet. We did watch um, a couple of shoot 'em ups. Uh, I have to say, which were just kind of switch off, watch, enjoy the nonsense. Yeah. So Sky and chill rather than Netflix yes. and chill. So um, my wife and I we, we watched um, Happy Valley, which ah. we enjoyed enormously with the great Sarah Lancaster, and. She then said, well, what we should do is we should go back and watch the previous one, which was Last Tango in Halifax, which is the same sort of sort of territory, the same sort of accents, the same sort of beautiful scenery, but with a perhaps slightly less gritty plot, but not wholly less gritty. And we've been really enjoying that. So this has been, really been the joy of um, sets type stuff, consuming two or three a night and yeah. more at weekends and powering through well, them. I have to say that another, rec- that's the second recommendation I've had recently for Happy Valley. The first is from my other brother, the middle brother, um, <clears throat> Hello Ian, who... Um, is normally he's an avid collector of motorbikes and classic cars, and spends most of his evenings and weekends polishing chrome bumpers. As far as I can make out, is that um, a euphemism? Uh, no, that is a literal <laughs> description, I, I believe, of what I see how he spends his time. He's not here to defend himself. So moving swiftly, he has um, uh, revealed that his the greatest television he has ever watched in the history of his television watching is Happy Valley with Sarah Lancashire. I've, it's tough going some of it, but mm. I think he's right. I'm just visualising the um, Viz cartoon for Chrome bumper polisher. Moving swiftly along, the the, the book I have just finished reading is a very controversial book, which is uh, written by a a former um, Army Air Corps pilot, um, and it's called The Spare. And it's whatever happened to him? I, I, I think he's moved abroad and is making a, a much better life for himself and his family away from the. Uh, evil demonic satanic clutches of uh, of the british mainstream media oh, i thought you were going to say his family uh, in, indeed uh, from the the mainstream media comma <laughs> and his family uh, a delightful book very well written it's not a great work of literature but it is a, a fast-paced uh, explainer about what it was like on his side of the the lens shall we say so you came out i mean did, did you go in sympathetic or pro or anti pro I, I went in pro but i wanted to understand in his own words what it was like because you see something like his life unfold in the press on the tv everyone with an opinion do you and i share opinions online perhaps not for gain other than the odd cook breakfast perhaps <laughs> in the yeah, future minimum bribe level yeah but we you, you want to understand the the whole story, not just the story that one set of opinions gives you. You need to understand the other side. And if, you, if you're if you not willing to understand another side um, and the, the whole, uh, you know, flow of events, the timeline, what happened on... I saw that thing on television. I saw that clip. Um, what was happening behind the scenes? You know, this is what historians call triangulation, I think, isn't oh, it? Where, where you need... To, ideally at least three different sources there used to be a guardian advert and it the first one appeared to be a young man wrestling the handbag off of an old woman walking down the street then from another view you saw um 
some people shifting a piano into an upstairs window and in the third one the camera pulls back and you can see the rope snapping the piano falling the man seeing it and diving to pull the lady out of the yes, so I triangulation yeah. you, you need to check things from all angles Absolutely. because history is usually written by the winning yeah. side so so when um his big brother perhaps writes a book called the air you know i'll be keen to get a copy of that and find out, you know, what his side of things You wonder uh, what the was. third part of the trilogy is going to be. The hair, the spare and the chair. I don't know. And, and do we care? <clears throat> well, as you know, that that's sort of my view. I, I, I've always been kind of neutral royalist, but now I'm getting to the phase of I don't really want to know. Hmm. And I think I think that's worrying because they, they they need public support and the media on their side and so forth. And if people start to lose interest, their their, their role will decline ultimately. I, I care passionately because I do not want a medieval anachronism having anything to do with running the country in which I live. Now we're back to Edward the First now. Indeed. <laughs> I, I confess that I would see an abolished monarchy would be the best monarchy. <laughs> What am I reading? I, I, I'm reading James Bond. Oh, um, James Bond or Ian Fleming? Uh, so, well, I'm, I'm reading Ian Fleming. Right, so these yeah. are the origin, the original right, originals, okay, which are the most politically incorrect books, probably still on the. They'll, they'll have stickers on the cover before now. I see Roald Dahl is going to have warning stickers. Um, you know, Roald Dahl you know. is being rewritten, I believe. <laughs> so, what about Shakespeare? But anyway, we'll, mm, we'll, mm. we'll come on to that on another occasion. Mm. But Bond is Bond. They, they have. I think the books are. They were written as pulp to make some money. Mm. They, they they fulfil that purpose, but you just have to accept the time in which they were written and the age in, in which Fleming grew up. But and are the Broccoli's true to the Fleming tone style. The films. The films. So there's the film producers. Are they producing films that you would recognise the books you're reading? So I think in the early days, if you think about um, uh, Casino Royale, Thunderball, Doctor No, uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, so the, the early ones very much so. But then I think in the 70s, I would say probably post-Connery, um, mm -hmm. then it becomes more car chasey, mm -hmm. more big action sequences, shooting people into mm -hmm. space and so so forth. But the, the early ones um, definitely are very... Mm -hmm. And I think Connery has that relationship with the character that shines, th shines through and there's very little adjustment done. So, so we, yeah. we started this episode three of our podcast with a Scottish angle and we're finishing our episode three or about to finish our episode three with a with a scottish angle well here's the final scottish nail in the coffin um we were going to talk about our favorite podcasts and i think there's one that we can agree on that actually features two scots two very proud scots absolutely yes and and uh, other than that the rest is politics well indeed uh, the rest is history is worth a listen as well but the rest is politics uh, rory stewart and alistair campbell trying to show that people from you know, on the face of it, completely different wings of political view actually have a lot in common and can have a civilised debate about difficult issues of the day. And they, they take on everything, both from the intensely local to, to the worldwide. Mm. They're both erudite, they're both funny, um, passionate in their different ways, and their background is dramatically different as well. I mean, Rory is about as close to being a royal, a member of the royal family and a member of the Secret Services as it comes, and Alistair was... Um, a grammar school boy. Well, um, grammar from, school boy from Yorkshire, mm -hmm. 
uh, but with a Scottish family, yes. um, spent a lot of time in the islands, um, but, you know, better known as being Tony Blair's communications guru or hitman bully boy, depending on your point of view. I thought he was best known as Tony Blair's piper. You know, Queen Victoria had a piper, White Link. Queen Victoria had a piper who came down to Osborne House to wake her up every morning. And he is still highly skilled on the, on the pipes yeah. and seems to whip them out at the uh, first opportunity. Absolutely. So again, uh, you know, as new podcasters, and dare I say it, as goal-hanging podcasters, those of you in the know will get that link as well, um, you know, we're, we're enjoying, um, Tim's been a podcast um, consumer for much longer than I, but I am a recent convert and as a result, becoming quite obsessive about it. And in particular, trying to track down a lot of historical and indeed current Isle of Wight related podcasts so that we can bump up in, uh, against these and also promote each other because we think there's a lot to talk about, a lot to say, a lot to learn uh, about the, the current activity on the island, but also going back to 1293 and Isabella de Fortibus's deathbed in Carisbrook, um, which, we, which we promise we might come back to with more details on uh, in, in future. Um, there's a lot to a lot to learn and, and I think as a medium something you can consume wherever on the go in the car on the train uh, walking your dog having a jog that sounds quite poetic doesn't it it does and Gary Lineker you know where we are so Tim we talked about Gary but where's Bob? Have you had a reply from our illustrious island MP? Our MP, Bob Seeley, re-elected as the candidate for West White. Oh, has he already been Yes, I believe approved? so. Ooh. Well, I think it's the East White that hasn't yet been chosen, but to be to be seen. Yeah, so I, I highlighted the issue and wrote to him about some of the missing children of immigrants um, from mainly Brighton hotels. A uh, letter came back, fairly standard form, I think. Um, the 250 children remain missing and nobody seems to be particularly interested, which we should draw our own conclusion. Mm -hmm. um, there's around 18,000 missing across Europe, so it's not just a British problem, but clearly, clearly a big issue. What did alarm me a little bit, and I read this, and this is a sentence with no caveat. Immigration fuels criminality and illegal employment. Now, if he'd said that trafficking did that, I think I might have some level of sympathy. But just to say that immigration is a bad thing, when this country has used immigration as a tool whenever it suited it over many hundreds of years, America has founded on immigration and many of the other countries have in one way or another benefited from, from, from immigration. It seems to me dangerous and perhaps looking for some safe routes and to allow work for the people who've come here and qualified would actually be the sensible thing to do. But I'll reply and we'll keep the correspondence going. And Bob, if you're ever keen to come along and have a chat, we'd be very keen to We're talk to you. All open. We have multiple microphones available. Our to, doors are to always share. open. And doors and ears and minds always open to live, listen to your perspective. So that ends this week's Where's Bob section. And that also ends episode three of Quite Like a Podcast. And uh, we're going to go back about our busy days and um, we'll look forward to hearing any feedback from you all as to content, timing, uh, things you'd like us to talk about. And don't forget to um, <laughs> help Tim recover from his coughing fit uh, earlier. But do try and uh, enter Pop of the Week, uh, Libation of the Week, 
and uh, we look forward to hearing your entries. Yeah, thanks for listening and we look forward to seeing you next time. That was Quite Like, a podcast presented by Rory Forbes and Tim Dedmans.